From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. It's a great time of year to sit back, relax, and watch a Christmas movie. I'm surprised to hear myself say those words because for years and years I hated Christmas movies. I hated their sentimentality and how every character has to learn what's truly important about the holiday season. Anyway, I had three kids and I've softened some and I've learned how to stop worrying and love the tinsel. To help you fill out your binge-watching schedule these last few days before Christmas, I invited Father Jim McDermott onto the show to talk about some of our favorite movies to watch this time of year. Father Jim is an ideal candidate for this conversation. He's a Jesuit priest and a fantastic writer who covers the intersection of pop culture and spirituality. I mean, his Twitter handle is literally at popculturepriest. These days, Father Jim is an associate editor at America Media in New York, but he has training and experience as a screenwriter and spent some time working for the TV channel AMC. Father Jim and I each picked three of our favorite Christmas movies to discuss, and I also asked him a bit about his life as a Jesuit writer and what interests some of his Hollywood executive friends about his vocation to the priesthood. It was a super fun conversation and got me in the Christmas spirit, which, as you'll hear from us as a common theme in this discussion, means two parts joy and maybe three parts melancholy. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Father Jim McDermott, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Mike. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was thinking about a Christmas episode this year, I said we haven't really ever talked about Christmas movies, who out there in the Jesuit universe could do this. And I thought, you know, Father Jim, he's he's a good kind of pop culture, spirituality person. This seems like up his alley. I'm not sure. I didn't even ask you if you like Christmas movies or if you're a Christmas fan in particular. We can get to that. Yeah, yeah. But before we jump into to the Christmas stuff. Let's just, I can do a little intro about, about what you do. So you, you are a writer and I uh, write for America magazine. I'm sure other places, but um, when I was looking through your recent list of columns on America. Here are some of the topics that I saw okay. Okay. star Wars. I think a couple sure. of times, maybe Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, pa- the, the Powerball lottery parish life in a bunch of different contexts, true crime podcasts, that's just a few. Again, you're all over the place covering <laughs> a lot of things. So, yeah. So, um, what do you, why, why write it? What do you like to write about? What, uh, apparently a lot. Uh, why is writing an important <laughs> part of your, your ministry? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your work. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I think that I just never stopped being a student is why I write about a lot of different kinds of stuff. I, I'm interested in, I can get interested in just about anything. And I think working at America where I've been, I was here as an editor in the early two thousands. And now I come back again, full time as about as of about a year and a half ago, a year and a half ago. And I'd say, uh, yeah, I just I, it's, I'm, I'm surprised myself that like you can pretty much throw anything at me and I'm interested in in talking about it or trying to figure something out about it, learn about it. Um, I, uh, I I didn't expect to be a writer when I entered the Jesuits. I thought I'd be a teacher or work on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation where I did my regency and a, a long experiment as a novice. But um after ordination, a year after ordination, I came to work at America and I've just, I've been magazine writing and then screenwriting ever since. And I, I really love that. Yeah. I just find, I feel like there's a great process of personal discovery in the process of writing. 
Uh, I learn a lot about other things. I learn a lot about myself, about God. So for me, it's just been, yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great ministry, great work. Yeah. I know like as I do some writing as well, and I forget who I heard say this recently, but the sense that like you don't, sometimes people say they write because you don't know what you think about something until you have to kind of sit down and, and write it. And so there is that sense of like coming to know yourself and yeah, like, or you might have an opinion. I think you know something or think something, but then when you really sit down to like, okay, what am I going to say about this? You realize that maybe it's different than you thought uh, initially. And there's for sure. I mean, like I saw, uh, I was writing something about Andor, this recent star Wars show that just ended. Uh, and I'm a huge star Wars fan. I grew up just as those movies were coming out, the first movies. And I was sort of shocked as I was writing this thing, like, Oh, this show completely repudiates, the thing that I've loved my whole life and uh, or it shows the real flaws in those first three movies. And I love it. I love it for mm. doing that. Uh, or, I mean, like a couple years ago, I wrote an article for NCR about what it's like to be gay in the priesthood. And, and actually the process of writing about that was incredibly revelatory. Like I thought I already knew what I wanted to say. It turned mm. out, no, 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 there's so much, there's so much here that I didn't really realize until you, it's like, it's like, it's like the difference between standing on the edge of a wood and describing it as, as compared to going through it and describe finding the path as you go in a way. Mm. So you're putting out stuff multiple times a week. Just, I, I would say prolifically, uh, how are um, you kind of discerning like what, what areas you want to go and, and things you want to tackle? Do you get assignments or do you just have kind of freedom to kind of think about what's, what's moving you in a particular day? Some, uh, sometimes there are assignments, like you mentioned some stuff I did on parishes. Basically America did this amazing movie, Sebastian Gomes, who's our sort of in charge of our multimedia, uh, where they went to four parishes across the country last year and sort of profiled them and then put them together in this movie about parish life, which is called people of God. You can find it on our website and it's really amazing. It's an hour long film. Um, and I got asked to write about just, just do like a little teaser in a way or a reaction piece, I guess, to each of those different parishes, uh, and, or, or those different parts. So that was, that was an assignment, which was so cool. And I, I mean, I just love that movie so much. Uh, other times, yeah, like what my basically like my sort of practices. I get up in the morning and I just look through. I I look through a lot of pop culture places first because I feel like that's not necessarily where other editors will necessarily go first. So that it's like an area where there's room to sort of consider other things or or a gap. Like which at this point, I mean, really, Ashley McKinless and the the America editorial team they've just put a lot of trust in me. I mean, that's, that's really the answer is that I, I pitch things and they've had a lot of faith that those things are worth talking about. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the process. Yeah. It feels very Jesuit to me in that, like engaging with the culture, finding things worth lifting out and it making connections. Um, But I I think sometimes it's like, Oh, like that's a surprising place to go for like a priest who's a writer. I don't know if you get people who are like, Oh, you're writing about this particular thing or you seem like plugged into uh, pop culture world. Like, so for you, like why that um, particular like intersection, what, what about that kind of grabs your attention? Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, this is why in the 2010, I went to screenwriting school and worked in Hollywood for a little while full time. I just feel like pop culture has helped me understand my own life and, uh, all kinds of aspects of it. And 
And I feel like it's a way that a lot of people kind of, it's a place that a lot of people go to for not just entertainment, although entertainment in itself is worth, I think, worthy, but also to like, to just think about things. It's, it's like, it's contemplative in a way, watching a movie or even a TV show. So for me, it's just, it's been that, I think it's been, and, and again, I think in some ways it goes back to what I was saying about writing in general, that like, I, for me, there's nothing better than writing a screenplay because of the things you discover as you write, which really like writing movies, especially is really hard. TV shows are, I find a little bit easier, but either way, like, when you're writing and then when you're rewriting, there's just so much stuff that you discover that you, you almost sort of like, where did that come from? How did I, where did the, like the pieces were all there and I didn't even know I had put them there. So there's like a sort of sense of the spirit or inspiration and just sort of surprise, even though you're the one doing the writing that uh, that's really sort of extraordinary. I, there's nothing like it in my life. So you mentioned the, the screenwriting work. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Are, are you still doing that? Or what kind of things did you did you work on? Um, what led you to that particular type of writing? Yeah, sure. I still am, although it's sort of like it's juggling a lot of different balls. So it's it's like that's like my early morning thing as I work on different some some different scripts that I've been working on for a while. But um, yeah, I I mean I went to UCLA. I got really lucky that they accepted me, and then I did a screenwriting program there, a three-year program that was, I mean, in some ways maybe it trained me to do this job as I'm doing it now. And that you're just writing a lot all the time. You're writing a feature every ten weeks. Not that it like not not uh, pro production worthy, but you were definitely in that practice of just writing all the time. And often you'd have like another class where you were writing a pilot or things like that. And while I was doing that, like many of the people in my class, I was also interning. I interned at the AMC network, which at the time was doing Breaking Bad and Walking Dead had just begun, uh, Mad Men. And, and it was a very, it's funny. I, I said this to a couple of people that I worked for. Um, I couldn't have thought of a network that would be more like in keeping with sort of Jesuit Ignatian stuff because the kinds of shows both the kinds of shows that they produced and also the way they would talk about shows was very much from like a human, a deeply human place. And that's not always the case with executives. That's often the case with writers, but with executives, it's, there can be more commercial aspects that sometimes get involved. But when I was working for AMC, I didn't find that to be the case at all. And luckily, very luckily and sort of unexpectedly, I got to pitch an idea for them for a TV show, which they bought. Uh, it didn't get made, but I spent a year and a half working with their executives writing drafts of the script, which was a really cool, very cool process. And then I was on a television show for a year as a writer called Preacher. Um, and then I've done some consulting since, and which has also been super cool. Uh, yeah, I consulted on the show Evil a couple times in the last couple years. And that show, those writers are just the best. And if if you haven't seen that show, like the way they talk about faith issues is so cool and deep. Mm. Um, most of the time I watch it and then I go, I don't know what you took from me because you took, you know, your view, vision of faith, Robert and Michelle King and their, their team way more interesting than what I was giving them. So, uh, yeah, so I've gotten to do some cool stuff like that. That's great. Can you talk about the show that they you were, that you had successfully pitched? Is that like now just live in limbo or can you like try to, 
revive yeah, that in some form. I mean, maybe someday. Yeah, there are. I do have some thoughts about reviving it. But yeah, that's. I mean, the brutal thing about screenwriting is that so often you spend a lot of time on a story and you really fall in love with the characters, and most of the time they will never see the light of day. That's it's a brutal uh, reality of that. Whereas, like, like one thing I'm discovering here in New York is, you know you know, you can put a little show on, you know, like, so I'm working on maybe a one act play, uh, or maybe even a two act play like that potentially at least could get a reading where that's a harder thing to do in some ways in the screenwriting world. But the show was, and it was something they came to me with as an idea. Uh, it, they wanted a show that was like the exorcist, but, but grounded. They did not want spinning heads. They don't want like too much supernatural stuff like, which is an interesting challenge. Um, I actually, for a long time, was like, I don't want to pitch you something on that because that stuff freaks me out. Hmm. Uh, and actually, although it's bizarre, I mean, it's bizarre and maybe predictable. I would say the, the thing that I have most been asked to do in Hollywood is stuff related to sort of the devil, supernatural stuff. So I've interviewed like half a dozen exorcists in my life. And, <laughs> you know, just crazy. That is not something I ever expected to do. Um so basically the story that I put together was called outer, the outer darkness. And it was a story about a, a, a brother and a sister who are long estranged. And the sister uh, lives uh, in Ohio with her family who know nothing of her sort of early life. Don't really think she had much for an early life. And her brother had been an exorcist for a long time, a priest, an exorcist, and uh, it really messed him up, which was something I discovered in talking to some of the exorcists I interviewed, that it's it's can be quite a messy, sort of exhausting and sort of addictive existence. So he sort of breaks down and she is the only person he can go to uh, to sort of like try to put his life back together. So he had moved before the show has begun. He's moved in with her and, and her family in this small town. And he's kind of like, when we meet him, he's become a part of their life. And he's a very, he's kind of found a balance. And then sort of, of course, something starts to happen in the town and it sort of threatens, it threatens both of them uh, because yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a fun, it was a weirdly personal story. <laughs> uh, but um, it didn't get made, which is totally, you know, that's how the networks and the business works. But I just loved, I got to work with two really amazing executives and uh, an interesting production team as well. It was cool. It was very cool. Yeah. It's, there's so many things. I feel like we could go down paths here. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. The, the, the idea of like characters who you write and get to know existing, but never like being met, like never meeting anyone else, but just kind of living out in this yeah. purgatorial in between world and then also uh the sense of like what a jesuit is seen as bringing to the table in hollywood <laughs> like what are your what's your expertise and like what are the topics they're interested in uh it's so interesting that it's like the that supernatural uh exorcism stuff doesn't doesn't surprise me like, i mean it's funny no, like I, I, I did a i'm so sorry to interrupt no no i did a um i have a feature a full-length movie about the making of the rubik's cube i did like extensive research for, for a couple of years, I went to Budapest where Erno Rubik is from. I got to meet him for like two minutes. Um, and uh, I, I mean, like, I'm really passionate about that story. But when I say to people, like, I have that, they always like look at me like, why? 
and, and which is bizarre. It's like no one has told that story, and eventually, hopefully, it'll be mine. But somebody's going to tell that because it's a wonderful, interesting story. But the fact that I'm the one doing it is always like a, a sort of an obstacle in the pitch. Like mm. you're priest. Like why? And I actually can kind of make a connection now because he was an he is an incredibly ideal idealistic person, and mm. his ideals about humanity are really beautiful. And I think that's part of a big part of why I'm interested in it, his story. But it is like, I, I, sometimes I feel like, well, did you know he also like, you know, uh, was possessed for six months? I mean, then I feel like they'd be like, Oh my God, this is perfect. I don't even know if he's Catholic, to be honest. I don't, I don't know if he's Christian. you know, it's like, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Interesting. Well, again, this is a whole other episode, and I'd I know, be fascinated yeah, to ask you about it. We just had George, Father George Drance on recently to talk about oh, Jesuits yeah. and, and drama, and mm. we could do a whole series on this. But the reason we have you today is to talk about Christmas movies. So I guess before we get started, we're going to do a draft. I'm going to you have three Christmas movies ready. I have three. Yep. Um, we'll take turns drafting them and build the little uh, a watch list for folks who are getting ready for uh, celebrate Christmas. So I guess I should ask you, like, do you even like Christmas movies? When I asked you about this, like, were you ready for it? Excited about it? Or you're like, ah, Christmas movies. Like what, what's your take? I love Christmas movies, especially if they're kind of sad, which I think most of them are kind of sad. I like, I feel, I mean, this is a little weird, but I find Christmas kind of a melancholy season. And I Absolutely. like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the longing of it and the sort of disconnection or the, the sort of the things that we're, we don't have quite yet. So yeah. And I feel like I, yeah, I love Christmas movies. I was rewatching. So we're taping this at nine 30 on a Wednesday morning. I was watching some this morning, just parts of some of the ones I want to talk about. I was getting really emotional at like, right. Like from the jump, you know? So yeah, like I'm a sucker for Christmas movies. Yeah. What, what do you think? Why is it, you know, you think again, like I think the kind of surface level Christmas thing. Oh yes. It's like, and we, I have three young kids. So like for sure in our house, it's very, it's excited. It's fun. It's pretty, it's different. It feels different. There's a whole soundtrack and, but you're right. Like I, I think I'll, my choices as well, generally there's all the kind of the, either a threat of melancholy or darkness or a lot of it. Um, what about Christmas? It kind of invites some of that. Well, uh, uh, I mean, I think some of it's, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, it's dark. I mean, it's literally a time of darkness and things sort of being messy. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's snow, at least in parts of our country, uh, parts of the Northern Hemisphere, which is wet and ugly. And, you know, at the falling, it's great, but then it's kind of rough and cold. It's funny, I got to spend Christmas in Australia a couple years ago, which is the opposite. Southern Hemisphere, it's summer there, and it was a very... It was equally beautiful. In fact, probably my favorite Christmas ever, but totally different. Like, um, yeah, a totally different kind of understanding of it. it's much more. I found it much more naturally hopeful in a way. Um, and I, so I think, yeah, I think weather has something to do with it. I also think not to go on too long, but I feel like I just feel like this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it just underlines the things that are not yet finished or that are messed up in people's families or their own lives. And so I, I think that's a net or, or people that are gone, people that have died in the year. So mm. I think it sort of naturally underlines a sort of sadness or, or melancholy. Yeah. And there's, I think there's that, just a nostalgia, like longing for something that you that feel like you had, but probably never exactly did. Or so many of those like nostalgic vibe, even again, the sense of mm. like the kingdom breaking in and coming and like our, if you can make it theological, but like the waiting, we wait for like, 
the coming of Jesus, like, you know, kind of as a baby to that, the historical event of that we talk about and remember. And then we, about like the coming of Jesus into our own lives and then the coming of Jesus at the end, right? So there's this sense of here, but also not yet, I think, as you mentioned, like things that we don't quite have. And so like, we know this, oh yes, he's the savior of the world, but we also are reading headlines at the same time. You know, there's that great Simon and Garfunkel, the silent night with the seven o'clock news, you know, they'd read the news headlines over the silent night and you know, like those things are existing at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for interesting. Sure. There's, yeah, there's a lot to do and we'll, I guess, get into those themes as we go through. So without any further ado, let me, let me give it to you as the guest, you get the first pick and again, just to, the rules too, if you pick something, it's on my list, I have to exit off. Um, so we, uh, hopefully we don't have any overlap. Okay. So okay. you can, um, you can, Tell me your first, your number one overall Christmas movie pick for, for viewing uh, this season. All right. I'm going to tell you. So actually, I'm going to tell you the one that I will definitely be watching. That's always my number one, even though the second one I'll tell you, I think, assuming that we don't have the same ones, is actually at this point more, I think, my favorite. So my mm-hmm. number one, the one I almost always watch on Christmas Eve or somewhere around Christmas is Love Actually. I just love Love Actually, which I know is probably... Love actually is weirdly polarizing, which I think is a sign of the apocalypse or something like, <laughs> uh, but I know some people don't like it. Some people on my staff don't like it, which, you know, I, I'm sorry that they're going to hell for that, but I, I'll be praying for them. And um, I just think it's, I think it's the greatest. I would, I just think it's the greatest cast ever. Like how many Oscars and other awards and amazing performances are you going to find? That's what is it? Alan Rickman. Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, uh, Colin Firth, Kieran Knightley, Hugh Grant, like you go on and on. Even the people that are just in it for like a scene, like Adam Godley, who plays one of the teachers that sings at the end, end up being like these enormously talented and important actors. So it's like, and yet it's, there's no like, it doesn't have that feeling of like, it's just stars making a turn. Like there's a real story that they're all invested in and uh, it has music. I always think Christmas movies, movies should have music. And I think Olivia Olsen, who's the child that sings at the end, she sings that Mariah Carey song, All I Want for Christmas is You, is like, it's the best performance of that song. I don't care that Mariah Carey originated it. I always want to hear Olivia Olsen sing it. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I think the thing I most love about it, the reason I always watch it, is there are so many stories that are, they're connected, but not really. They're separate. So there's just always a point of insertion for me, you know, like it doesn't matter what, where I am in my life. I'm always, I'm probably always going to connect to many of those stories, but like, like I'm thinking right now for some reason, and this is often the case. I just, Emma Thompson, that her story in love, actually, I just really feel that story. I feel her grief and also the sort of pride goeth before a fall of it, you know, in the beginning of the movie, She's counseling Liam Neeson about who's mourning the death of his wife. And she's sort of like, ah, you know, buck up. Nobody likes a whiner. And you're sort of like, oh, my God, he just that just happened. He, he just lost his wife. And here you are saying this. Who are you? And then by the end of the movie, her life is a complete train wreck. You know, she's really been hurt by her husband. And I don't know. I just the moment where she stands in the uh she stands in her bedroom listening to uh, Joni Mitchell sing, like, rip your heart out. I dare you to find another moment in a Christmas movie that is that sad and and true, just so true. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I think 
I think like an interesting thing about the movie, obviously I could go on and on. I don't mean to like rattle on. Um, an interesting thing about the movie that I was thinking this morning, like maybe kind of relates even to sort of Christian stuff is, um, it remind like, like the nativity, there's a lot of characters, right? The nativity scene, the nativity should be just about Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Right. But no, there's like, we've got Herod, we've got, we've got like shepherds. Like what, what are they doing here? Why are they a part of this or Kings that are going to come on the scene later or angels. So there's just like, and like people are so invested in, in the variety of characters in that story that they even create other characters. Like at nativity plays, kids play animals. Or there's the drummer boy. That there's no drummer boy in the biblical story, but it's like we had to add more elements to that story because we just feel like we're a part of it. And that's I just think that's a that's a very love actually thing, or vice versa. Love actually is sort of playing on something that's very nativity esque. That Christmas is about a lot of stories that are that actually have one thing they they both they have one thing at the center, which is love. Right. And the nativity story is also a story about where love is at the center, but it ripples out in a hundred different ways. So so that's interesting to me that you use the variety of stories in that the braided stories in that uh, that movie in that way. And I will say to you, like, I haven't seen it in a long time. And I know that there is like the debate about this movie that it does. It seems like every year it's the same thing. You could chart it. It's it gets mentioned and then people like come flying in. Uh, we will. I, there, I saw even just right before we recorded this. Uh, yeah, a, a very good writer on your staff at America watching it for the first time and, and not having anything positive to say about it. So I'll leave that to you all to debate uh, among yourselves. But yeah, you would kind of wonder about that. But I think some of my instinct I remember at the time was like, oh, this seems like a lot of different ideas that like maybe they could have picked fewer and like really gone deeper on. But I like your your idea of kind of taking and showing like these the kind of constellation of characters kind of moving again, the shepherds and the Kings, even they don't interact, right. They're in different gospels. <laughs> They're yeah, for different, exactly. written for different audiences. Uh, but this, in the way we then take those stories and make meaning in our own minds, or again, even the way that in a pa- Christmas pageant, you, they, they mix all that up, right? Like they add, they put the stories all together. They kind of stack them. It's like this kind of active creative recombination uh, to present like this single narrative that's being pulled from, from different places. So yeah, all right. it's, a, I, I, it's a very biblical technique, actually old Testament as well to, uh, to only give you like a thumbnail of a character and then you fill in the rest, which I think is a really brilliant technique. Actually, we use it in video games all the time. There's like an avatar the avatar can be a Pac-Man and yet you identify with it. Like you want to play that character. You know, it's like, so like I, I'm all for deep dive sort of Christmas stories or stories too. But I think there's, I think Richard Curtis is, there's a brilliance about like, I'll just give you enough that you can run with it, you know? And, and like, so that's why if you, that's why I would even say I could have used a couple more stories. I could have used a story about an elderly couple. I could have used a story about a really clearly queer couple. Whereas, I mean, I think the Bill Nye and his manager story ends up being a queer story, but other people would definitely say other queer people would say like, no, that's what a straight person does to sort of avoid telling a queer story, which I think is a fair critique. But yeah, I, so anyway, that's, I, like I said, I can go on and on about love actually. Yeah. All right. All right. 
um, your number one choice. We gotta, we, we'll keep moving, though, to uh, make sure we have time to cover all six uh, in, and not go sure. eight hours on this. Uh, though, again, as, as I said before, <laughs> each one of these could be its own whole thing. So, all right, my number one choice. Um, I also have, like, one favorite that is on the list uh, that will be watched every year, which is The Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, oh. my number one by far. Mm. Um, for one, I, I was reading just recently this year that someone, I think, who studied – I was on Twitter, who like is a a Dickens scholar, or at least adjacent, studied essentially like they think Dickens would have liked this one the most, that it's like the truest Christmas Carol adaptation. Mm. Uh, I love the Muppets. Again, like it's part of that Christmas nostalgia. I remember going to see this when it was in theaters with my dad and little brother and having to sit in the very front row because we were late and it was full. Uh, so there's that, that piece, the childhood and the, the whole Muppets also. But there's so many reasons I think this is number one for me. Like Michael Caine... I think at the heart of it, like completely investing, like talking to these puppets as if there are people in front of him, like not not like tongue in cheek at all, like totally committing mm-hmm. to it, um, which I love. So I love that performance. and I love him. You talked about the sadness and darkness that kind of comes with Chris. I mean, this movie's about death, right? And I love that Muppets does this, mm. Peanuts does this. They package these things for kids that are introducing these like really challenging topics and themes. Um, again, it's about like him being shown his death, and like that is part of what his his big conversion moment, right? Um, and that's that's hard. Uh, it's creepy. It's weird, and also hilarious. And again, so funny to me that this is marketed for kids. Um, but I, yeah, there's music in it too. Some great, great music. I just like the creative genius of, of Henson and his crew. I don't know. It, it just, it just works so, so well for me that I go back, and um, yeah, and I kind of like that sitting in that like that is. Yeah, like there's like kind of confronting our mortality, which we do when we like think back at, you know, or we mark the year and think about past Christmases. There's mm. the sense of that, but also the, the joy in it and also the opportunity for conversion. Uh, like I, love the, I love a good conversion story and some redemption there. Uh, kind of criticizing, um, Christmas Carol criticizes like uh, the con- consumerism and like the wealthy. There's like a little bit of that. Apparently, I just read recently that Dickens had come to the United States right before writing Christmas Carol, the, the novel, and was turned off by like American, oh American excess. Yeah, like American wow. excess. So Scrooge is like an American inspired character for him. Oh my uh, gosh. Um, yeah, there's a cool essay I, I just read we can we can link to uh, mm. in the show notes. But um, yeah, so anyway, I, I think it's uh, there's just a lot, a lot going on there that I like. And I'm excited to like our oldest kid is seven. And like, I don't maybe I would try it. I feel like they're start. You see this kids start asking about some dark topics, challenging things. Maybe sure. wait another year or two. But uh, anyway, I, I just love I love Muppet Christmas Carol. I love that. I love that suggestion. I, I know so many people that talk about that that movie, but I, I like the way you said it was creepy and weird and maybe meaningful, something like that. I feel like that's that's so the Muppets at their best. Like they're we think of them as these sort of just sweet and entertaining, but there is they're always better when they're weird. Like Gonzo. Is, is a cool Muppet. And it's because there's just something weird about that dude. You know, there's something that's like, you're never going to get to the end of figuring that guy out or, or him being like understandable. And that's interesting. That's compelling in a way. Yeah. And, and he is that narrator. And one funny like little yeah. trivia note is there's a line toward the end, like at, after the conversion, where he says the line, uh, talking about Tiny Tim. And Tiny Tim, who did not die, because again, in one of the timelines, Tiny Tim dies. 
And that's right from the book. That's the only, I'm sure that's the only Christmas carol that puts that line in there, there. That direct, <laughs> you know, he did not die. There is life. Uh, and again, I just, to me, just a source of pure, pure joy and the, and the chaos of the, the Muppets too, um, which is great. Okay. Um, you know, it's so funny. That's my, it's funny. Uh, so like my nephew, my nephew and I both, as me as a kid and then him as a kid now have been in Oliver, which is also often played at Christmas time. And I think people do it because they say like it's Dickens too. And it's set in kind of a wintry environment. So mm-hmm. not a Christmas story. Like don't watch that this Christmas. It is just <laughs> not right. Like stick with the Christmas Carol. Not every Dickens story is the same. Bleak house is not, is not Oliver is not, is not, you know, Christmas Carol. Yeah. That's funny i do i do love Oliver. i was in the pit band for oliver when i was in middle school and so still know every word to every song from wow. uh, oliver because you sit in the rehearsals for that long uh so i do i do have a special place for oliver when when is a good time to watch oliver um i mean i kind we, of we, we put it on in like Feb- yeah exactly it is a lent <laughs> movie or like headed to lent yeah definitely a winter movie but not not a christmas movie all right all right we'll put it on the uh the docket for next time all right so you're or up to your second choice which and this choice is like I've only seen this basically in the pandemic, you know, being locked down for a year. I just tried to see a lot of things that I had never seen before. So like Christmas mm. season, Advent, I watched a Christmas movie every night, pretty mm. much. So mm. this one is probably one I would not have watched otherwise because I would have said that's this sounds ridiculous. It just sounds like it's too like it's made to be sold rather than a good story, but it's wonderful. Mm. It's Last Christmas. Um, which is, it's, uh, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones playing, um, basically a, a woman whose life is a total mess. Who's like, she's had, she's recently been through some sort of health crisis and seems to be on the other side of it. She's really a singer and, and wants to be performing in the West End, but her life is just such a disaster that, you know, she doesn't even have a place to live. She's like, she's couch crashing somewhere else every night. She's with a different guy every night. Um, And it's like, it's basically her story of redemption, right? It has so many reasons why I love this movie. First of all, just on the surface, it has Patti LuPone, Michelle Yeoh, Emma Thompson, and Amelia Clark. So it's sort of like they said, who are the fiercest women in in sort of theater? Let's put them all in this movie. And they're all excellent. They're just fantastic. And in really unexpected roles, Emma Thompson plays... Amelia Clark's mother, who is who, who she and her husband escaped with their girls from Yugoslavia during the war. And so it's which is a really kind of small but important part of the story. And part of the story is like this is I, I think the film comes out before Brexit actually happened, but it might have been after Brexit. And it's partially about like who's who's welcome in our in our country or in our lives. And so which is a really like. It's just a really important and sort of meaningful part of the story, which again weirdly feels like like our own Christmas story, like very much a story about like who gets is there any place for God where even even God can lay his head? Um, it's as the title might suggest, it also features a George Michael soundtrack, which I don't think I've ever seen a movie that has done that. And hmm. it's weird, like George Michael has one Christmas song, Last Christmas. But actually, his music in general, it really works in the season. It's very much like his his music's filled with feeling and, and also wonder a lot. So it, it really like it, it lands really well in the in the movie. Um, 
And it's about two things that I really love, and this is why I love it as a movie. It's about ghosts, which I think are a very Christmas thing, like you were talking about with the Muppet Christmas Carol. I, and I think it helps me think about ghosts, because ghosts, what are ghosts? Ghosts are about loss, right? They're, they're sort of specters of loss. They're specters of longing. But they're also paradoxically often about hope. Like the fact that they sort of promise a life after this one, that there is something more, which is, I just think that's a cool Christmas vibe, even though they don't really seem like they belong in a Christmas story. Um, And the other thing that I love that I feel very personally about is that it's about a woman that's a mess and that has family problems, which I definitely relate to. And I feel like a lot of people do as we were talking about the season in general. Like, I just feel like, Christmas time is hard because it underlines the things that are undone personally or in families. It underlines like uh, the things that the, yeah, they, it emphasizes the not yet or, or the no more of mm. life or maybe never of life. Like I, I mean, there are relationship issues in this film that, that do get resolved and often in Christmas movies they do, but that's not always the case, you know? And, and that's sort of part of the brutality of the season is that you have to sort of accept some things that never get better and, or that are going to get better in some mysterious way that you'll never see coming. Right. So I just, I love that. I just, I love a character in general. That's a mess. And especially at Christmas time. And I, and Amelia Clark, um, I just, she's only really known or she's most known for action movies, but she's hilarious and just, I don't know. She gives a really heartfelt, heartfelt performance. So I really, and I'll say one other thing. I, I know it's like we could go on and on. It, this is a movie where Christmas is about small things. It emphasizes like, like walking into a park you've never been in before. And it's filled with beautiful Christmas lights or like just noticing someone else on the bus. That's like where the life and hope of the movie comes from, which I think is really unexpected for a movie like a like a feature movie and it, and yet I feel like that is such a great take on how how we get saved at Christmas time is through the little things the small little christmas tree that you've got on your your desk or a picture of your children yeah so yeah I love that movie if you haven't seen it and I think a lot of people haven't you should watch it yeah well thanks for that reflection and I do think like the idea of again someone being a mess and like the the challenges of that like important to name that I think because like there is that feeling like I think part of the pressure comes from Christmas has to be perfect. This is the most, they tell us, everyone tells us it's the happiest time of the year. It's the best time of the year. You get to, you know, all these different things that are special. Um, but so like there, that pressure is not helpful. And like there no. are times in which, yeah, it's not going to be fun as, or going to be, you're forced to be with people who you wouldn't want to spend time with people who have hurt each other and, um, and just kind of have to sit in that sometimes. Uh, and then that, but that is like, okay. And like that messiness, the, even the idea of like the incarnation, again, to, to uh, bring this back theologically a little, the idea of God entering the mess and being in the manger, which is not a five-star hotel, right? No room at the inn yeah. and in this place where the animals eat and the discomfort of that. Uh, and again, like I've you know, heard different writers talk about, like, if you were the son of God, how would you have come? It wouldn't have been like that. It would have been... At sure. the Macy's parade on a float with a sash that said "Son of God" on it, and you can like, zap, you can, like, zap people, right? Like, just what does what does God's power look like, and how does God come? And it's in this, in that mess, in that muck. Um, and so there is that promise, even though again, it's not like 
Well, what happens right after that? They have to, they're refugees and they run into Egypt, right? So like it, it doesn't always work itself out so easily. But I do appreciate your lifting that up because that is such, I think it's okay. <laughs> like if that's what you're feeling like that, that is fine. And a lot, a lot of people are feeling that too. There's some solidarity in that. For sure. Um, for sure. All right. I'm going to do my second movie now to all keep right. it going on the nice uplifting theme. I'm going to pick a not, it's a not <laughs> technically Christmas movie. Um, and there are refugees in it. And, uh, so it. children of men, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's children oh. of men, um, which I, I just watched again, um, relatively recently, um, which is not an easy watch. So we should warn our friends, like this is a violent dystopian movie. Um, mm. but there is hope and, to me, a Christmassy hope. So if you haven't seen it, it's based on a novel by the author P.D. James. Uh, it's set in a relatively near future. So it made in 2006 and set in like 2027, uh, in which for 18 years, humans haven't been able to have babies, right? The complete infertility. And there have been these refugee crises. And so you get this kind of dystopian vibe without it like hitting it too heavily, but like really brilliantly showing like kind of what the world is and these refugees from other places arriving in London. Like England is one of the few places that's sort of relatively together. So people have descended there. Um, and it's how people being separated. And re again, you see refugees pushed aside, which again is from the Christmas theme. The, sto the idea of refugees uh, is big in the, this season. But I think for me, of course, like without this, infertility uh, without you know babies being born and the human race like kind of seeing its end there is a woman they, who they have found is one woman who is pregnant and then what is going to happen to her and ends up there's a, a movement of like kind of guerrilla radicals that want to like make her a political symbol like a violent like kind of violent guerrillas and then it's clive owen's character who has to kind of rescue this woman key and to try to keep her and protect her and her child and they're just so like the idea of like one child changing the world or again the power of the child in which in this battle scene when this some soldiers see that she's pregnant their complete shift in their own there's like falling on their knees is a genuflection when they see this woman pregnant uh, and how that that power of God changes those people internally even for just a moment um, but yeah the hope of a child the the things we have to do to protect uh, those who are most vulnerable uh, yeah I, for me it just it, it hits a lot of those themes while again not doing it in the kind of hallmark style uh, it's not an easy watch so you have to be ready for it but um, I, I don't know I just think it really gets to some of these these central Christmas themes in a way I, I find quite compelling yeah, that's a great, I love that movie. That's just one of the all-time great sort of dystopian films. I, Alfonso Cuaron and Clive Owen, like, I don't know where he's been in the last couple of years, but that guy can act. And uh, there were a couple of years there where it was like everything he touched. And they were often around Christmas time. Like he did a movie with Jude Law and a couple other people that was also, I think it was like a, maybe it was an Oscar contender. So it came out in the Christmas season. Yeah, he's and everyone in that cast, in fact, there are, I think, like Love, like Love Actually, there are people in that cast that I think if you look at the movie now, you'd be like, oh, my God, they became this person. But at the time, you were just like, who are all these incredible actors? What are they doing in this movie? It's Yeah, that is a great right. film. Michael Caine also in that one. Uh, so yes. I have two Michael Caine choices. So good. But, um, yeah, I and it, it came out on Christmas uh, in the U.S. I know that that was like kind of uh, some of the themes that were underlined. And, and Quaron, I, I I love. I just saw Gravity for the first time, which is another oh, yeah. one of his movies. Yeah, with uh, Sandra Bullock and, and George Clooney, which another one for me is like so spiritual without being like mm. hitting you over the head with it, but just inviting those bigger questions about 
about life and meaning. And uh, so he's really good at, at those types of, of things. So, so yeah, that's, that's my second choice, despite it that you will not, you will not leave feeling like uplifted in the Christmas spirit, but there will be some hope there. It was a little deeper maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? <laughs> absolutely. All right, let's get to your, um, let's get to your third, uh, your third, your third pick. Okay. My third pick um, is a film that I, again, like, like during the pandemic, I watched tons of Christmas movies um, and I was just willing to watch anything. And there was a movie on Netflix that I didn't know anything about. It's called just another Christmas. It's a Brazilian film that actually came out in 2020. Um, That is, it's a really interesting, it has a great concept like a hook and then it's a really heartfelt film. So what it's about it's kind of Groundhog Day meets It's a Wonderful Life. It's about a guy who I'm, who hates Christmas. His birthday is Christmas, which is reason enough. Like, it just, I know people whose birthdays are like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's just, it's almost always terrible because uh, <laughs> they get overlooked. They don't get their time. So his birthday is Christmas Day. He's married. He has kids. He hates Christmas. And at the Christmas celebration, I think it's his it's not his grandfather, but it's like maybe like somebody's uncle, but an old man basically curses him. That, and as a result of the curse, and the curse is because he's such a Grinch about Christmas. Every next day he wakes up, it's Christmas again, but it's, so that's the Groundhog Day of it, but it's not the same Christmas. It's the next year's Christmas. <laughs> so a year has passed and he, and he, and, and uh, literally a year has passed. He will find out things that he did in that year, but it's not, in a way, it's not the same hymn. There are two hymns going on. There's the one that lives every day but Christmas, and there's the one that lives on Christmas. And what Hmm. ends up happening is, it doesn't happen right away, but he pretty much discovers the normal hymn is ruining his life, that he's cheating Hmm. on his wife with some other woman, that he's... uh, that he's just like he's become really invested in, in wealth and in getting ahead. And so in a sense, he has to become his own angel and sort of figure out like, how do I how do I stop this? Um, which is just a really interesting concept. Uh, and so like I love the sort of the quirky game of that. But then the thing it's a really beautiful story, and he invests his family in it. He tells his family. This the me that you know is not the me today. So every year they know as well that like they're going to get somebody else on Christmas Day, which is I think hmm. an interesting sort of twist on it. He's not alone in the problem, but hmm. uh, I think uh, so. It's, there are two things I really love about it. I think that there is something very Groundhog Day about Christmas. You know that you'll have you're going to see some relatives that you only see then. You may have very similar conversations. Like he has a brother-in-law that's always got a money scheme. Um, the kids are going to want to do maybe the same thing over and over. He's got a daughter that always wants to sh- watch a Shrek movie. Um, the same foods, like the relative who's always bringing that thing that nobody likes, but it's like, that's what they bring. That's just what they do. So I love that, that sort of insight into Christmas. But then uh, I also love, again, it's a story about a guy that's a mess, but it's also and I think this is what makes it particularly unique. It's a story that doesn't end in the way you would expect. It's it's sort of about how our story never ends. So like he gets to a point where things are good in his life with his wife and with his kids, but that's not the end of the movie. There's more stuff that happens after that. And some of it is super sad. And, uh, 
And so, which is sort of like, wait, why would we have that? It's like, well, because Christmas keeps going, you know, like you have the happy times and then you have some hard times. It's not, there's no easy resolution. And which it isn't to say that the movie ends on a sad note, but it just, I just felt like it appreciates that life is complex. It has, it appreciates the good and bad times and puts them together in a way that's unusual for a Christmas movie. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's so good. It's funny too. Yeah, it's, it's very really interesting. funny. Yeah, again, I, I'm a sucker for time loops. So Groundhog Day maybe is my favorite movie ever, and uh, Russian Doll, which is a Netflix show, uh, sure. Natasha Leone, which is very you know, is time loopy, uh, looper. Um, there are a lot of great ones like that out there. It's now kind of like, oh, can you do this in a way that's fresh? And I, I never thought of the idea of like kind of jumping, not just the same exact day, which often happens, but like things are changing but you're not like aware of them so that also has sort of like that christmas carol vibe too right like the sense of like we're seeing you're seeing like the these ghosts of christmas in all different sorts of times like well this or this past year kind of getting that look as an outsider at your own life uh and how that can shake you up which again is also it's a wonderful life as you said yeah and actually maybe that is that too might be kind of a thing that does happen between christmas and new year's like if we ever get a breath anyway there are those moments. I actually feel it right now, like that sense of like, even though I'm still supposed to be working full time and I've got a lot to do, my instincts are, no, no, this is the time where I'm supposed to step back and just sort of look back on the year and think about like, what's, what happened? And it is sort of like you're, that person from the year is somebody different. Like, what did they do? You know, what, what did they do to my year? And, and so there's, I just think it has really interesting intuition about human life and about Christmas and yeah, sure. And of course, that designation too, like the sense of the uh, let's take the take the moment to look back, to kind of look at how sure. things went, uh, and to notice like, oh, these are things I might want to change, or these are things that are good. And I think too, I did where you mentioned the repetitive nature and the repetitive nature of, especially with young kids, you feel that right, listening to a lot of the same songs over and over, doing the the same types of traditions, the same episodes of shows, and it, it reminds me of this. Um, so thinking about like and then things that can feel repetitive to me, and I want to dig up this G.K. Chesterton quote um, about repetition yeah. uh, and children and Christmas. So this is like a positive spin on the idea of repetition. He wrote, um, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps, uh, sorry, it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be he has the eternal appetite for, of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Wow. Oh, so, I love that quote. Snap. Yeah, so that came to mind. Uh, just in terms of the, again, that, that childlike, so trying to reclaim some of that. And I do find like having been like a Christmas Scrooge for like teenage dumb until having kids, trying to like re-entering it through them now, I have a whole new, sure. I'm much more like of the spirit than I would have been before, certainly. Um, which brings me to my last choice, um, which is another kind of nostalgic play, but also like I'm seeing differently now as a parent, which is Home Alone. Uh, I love Home Alone. Uh, again, I, fr- that was my like early childhood. Watch that movie every year. Um, the uh, 
the, the there's like the fear and the funny and the hijinks certainly and it's just like i always they like the like the pesci stern combo of the 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 wet bandits or the the uh, i think oh, the wet, yeah the wet bandits in that one they changed their name in the second one but but um like they, it just like kills me every time um but then like there's of course like i think like that scene at the church at the end of home alone uh, toward the end of home alone where there's the scary neighbor right who he's afraid of the other but then has this encounter in a beautiful church a, a place that brings disparate people together which i love that vision of church too um and like kind of talk about the brokenness in their own lives and the the family challenges they're they're facing uh and the little kevin kind of calling this man out and like the broken relationship with his son and so i think that that is such like a rich spiritual conversation that you would never have guessed coming in the middle of this kind of wacky movie so i love that that scene i think just for me rings true and nails it and then also now as a parent the idea of a parent making a mistake and then like having to a big mistake and then like desperately trying to like help their child or like to to make amends to get back uh the term back. I don't know. There, so there's something now I think that like as a parent watching Catherine uh, O'Hara is again the best. Uh, she is. Uh, just like long for her child and like do anything, move anything for them and that sort of love. And um, there was, I think one of the recent gospels was it like the 99 sheep, right? Those stories. The idea of like God as the, the person like who, even if all the other children are fine, like the one who's lost like coming after you and coming after like the hound mm. of heaven right like, always mm. chasing uh, always chasing and so i i get that vibe uh too from from her which i appreciate as a parent so uh it's such alone. a and, such a different yeah. movie to watch as an adult right as a kid it's just like this is the best this right. is a classic john hughes wonderful movie but then as an adult it's like oh my god what a nightmare scenario he's created and yeah, you relate to her so much and to sort of her fear and pain and sadness. Yeah. Right. But yeah, and then again, like John Candy coming in the middle of it, uh, which just like that cameo, <laughs> he makes everything he's in just perfect. Right. Yeah, so they, I think, again, does. it's working on a lot of these levels. I think as we've talked about, pretty much, I think a lot of these have in common with maybe not Children of Men, but the other one seemed to have like that sense of um, there is the kind of joy and silliness and also the and the humor and the brokenness and the longing for something. So there's a lot going on in all of these um, that, again, I think shows that Christmas, despite the superficial, like happiest time of the year stuff, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. Um, mm. So I like this collection we've come up with. Yeah, me too. I've, these are really cool movies. I, yeah. It, actually, Home Alone is a film I didn't watch for whatever reason during the pandemic. I have to go back. You make me want to go back and see that again. And also I'm up at Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I, have not, I have not seen those two, that there's your second and third, and I haven't seen Home, uh, Love Actually in a long time. So we have a, a nice list. We'll, we'll get this out, and hopefully people can see and they can uh, let us know what they think of, of any of these. And uh, are there any others on your list you want to th- throw in as honorable mentions before I let you go? Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, and I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure there are, but my mind is completely empty. Yeah, no, I, I put you on the spot. I do like the kind of animated, uh, the Charlie Brown and the animated Oh, Grinch. sure. Um, sure, sure. Again, talk about sadness and then the Grinch, like some, I think the Grinch just artistically is even better than the book and the, uh, the conversion story there, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there, there are more, again, I used to be such a Scrooge and didn't want to watch any of them, but now like there are ones I do, I will come back to, we'll watch Elf again. Elf is the first half of Elf is like my, oh my favorite gosh. New York movie. It's just perfect. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Actually, there is one other one. What's God, what's it called? There's one where these two people they switch places 
like what not not like it's not a body swap but like one person lives in new york i think cameron diaz lives in la and she comes to to stay in the home of someone in london and that person is kate winslet who comes to la uh maybe it's holiday is that what it is it's it like uh, it, it, it's the holiday you got it the holiday and it's with jude law yeah. and i don't remember who the fourth person is jack jude black law. jack black yeah it's a really wonderful movie it's another like yeah it just it's another one of those movies where you look at it and you're like that is so just packaged to like get right. people in the door but then it's like right. oh no actually the script is really good and the acting is wonderful it's and they're all yeah they're all very talented actors so you know, it's, all right, yeah, I love very that. good. I, love I have not seen that yeah. one either, so yeah. throw it on the list. All right, well, Father Joe, I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much for taking the time uh, and just all the, the best in your continued uh, writing ministry and all the work that you do, you. Um, and have a blessed uh, blessed uh, Christmas Christmas season. Thank you. You too. You too, and to all the, everyone out there, God bless you. I hope you have a great Christmas. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.